Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash LA Slant. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com forward slash LA Slant. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome Michael Gelkin to the LA Slam Podcast. Michael covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at Gelkin NFL. Michael, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Good talking to you. How are you been? Hey, I'm great. I appreciate you coming on. I was actually I was really excited to have you on because as many listeners already know, you cover the Chargers for the San Diego Union Tribune for five seasons. And I know we're gonna talk Raiders today, but you have such a unique perspective on the Chargers and this division. So I want to start with the Chargers. It's been a whirlwind 2017. I was wondering if you could kind of put a bow on the move from San Diego to L.A., given that you lived through that 2016 season. Yeah, it's a big bow to tie, given the team was in San Diego for 56 years. You know, since 1961, they were part of that community and the attachment that you saw, you know, before, you know, leading up to the relocation. Then once the relocation was finalized, you know, the look in fans' faces as they drove in hordes to the front of the Chargers facility with well, Danny Thomason jerseys and Dan Fouts jerseys and Lance Allworth jerseys and flags and chairs and hats and you name it. And they're putting them in this big pile that ended up being burned uh, later in the day once the rain stopped. Um, it, was, uh, it was quite the scene. Uh, definitely uh, something that from a sports community um, standpoint, I, I don't know if San Diego ever will be the same, you know, with the Chargers, you know, having an NFL team there, specifically the Chargers meant so much to so many here. And there's still a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger, and you can point it to a lot of sides, you know, be it Dean Spanos, the owner, be it the political spectrum for years uh, as the Chargers uh, invested in trying to get something done in San Diego. Uh, but the fact is that the Chargers are gone and people in San Diego are still very much feeling their absence. Michael, it's such a strange time. I know the Chargers are trying to get their footing here in L.A. They had all their OTAs and minicamps down in San Diego. Do you think Chargers fans, any segment of that fan base, is going to support this team in Los Angeles? Well, without a doubt. Some will. Um, a lot won't. And that's kind of a, it's a, it's a very personal decision. You know, I've, uh, you know, a couple, couple of my closest friends are brothers, and they have, Chargers tattoos. I mean, they're as loyal as I get. I mean, they've branded themselves as Chargers fans for life, you know, when they got that tattoo. And neither of them is following the Chargers now that they're in Los Angeles. Um, so, and likewise, there are people who are super loyal fans. Just, you know, they consider themselves that, you know, they brand themselves just the same, be it with ink or otherwise, and they will follow the team. And there are other people who aren't really sure yet how they'll feel until, you know, September comes around and Philip Rivers runs out of, the, out of, you know, runs onto the field off, off the sideline and, and starts the 2017 season, you know, are they really going to be totally disinterested? Are they going to watch? Are they going to hate watch? I think it's, it's a very, very individual decision that I think people in San Diego are frankly still trying to make. Yeah. You know, and this was, this was hanging over the city and the organization's head all of 2016. And I still think the Chargers are loaded on offense and defense this year. I thought they were loaded on offense last year and they were snake bitten by injuries. They lost a lot of close games, made a lot of mistakes. Do you think that the move 
was hanging over the organization's head to a point where it affected their performance on the field in any way? Well, I want to be careful with it because I I think, you know, they they lost games for for so many reasons, for injuries, for this, for that. You know, 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 the roster not being good enough in really some key areas, you know, when it was exposed to injury and just not having the depth there to withstand it. Um, that to say it's all about relocation is the reason why they went four and twelve in two thousand fifteen and five and eleven in two thousand and sixteen. I just can't I can't do that. Um, but I've heard that. You know, I, I think that's something that the Chargers felt was happening in two thousand fifteen uh, for sure. Uh, and then sixteen, you know, it, it was um, they, you know, there were so many people in the building, uh, including a lot of the players. They were gearing up for that two thousand fifteen season being the last. In, in, in San Diego. I mean, if Dean Spanos had his way, uh, it would be the Chargers and Raiders sharing stadium in Carson. And that would be the direction of the new you know, state of football in Los Angeles. But obviously that's not how it went in 2016 came around um, and the team continued to struggle. But I, I think it was more injuries. I think it was more the failure to finish uh, games. You know, they lost nine games each of the past two seasons by one score. And no team in the league has lost more one-score games than the Chargers have. And so I think it just comes down to personnel first and foremost. But to some degree, I think, yes, it was uh, a, a distraction for, for many within the building. Yeah, I remember Phil Rivers making laps around Qualcomm after the 2015 season thinking it was over. And get, getting to Philip Rivers, Michael, he was such an important part of the community in San Diego. And you could tell he was very conflicted with this move. I think he wants to make it work in L.A., and he said all the right things. What are his thoughts on this move? And, and I guess going further, there's so many players on this team from rookies to veterans, kind of polling the locker room last year. What's, what's your take on some of these guys, what, what their opinion was on moving to Los Angeles? I imagine it was kind of split. Well, I think guys just wanted to know, first and foremost. They just wanted to know where they're going to be, where their families were going to be, what kind of schools their kids were going to be in for those, those children old enough. They, they just wanted to have a, a sense of, of, of the future. And I think that was the toughest thing for a lot of people within the building was the uncertainty of not knowing. And so I know there was some people who were gearing up in 2015 for the team to move. And then when the team, and, and these are the same people that wanted them to stay, but then they found out, you know, early in the, early, you know, in January, 2016, that, Oh, there's a one year option. We have to wait another 12 months before we know for sure whether or not the Chargers are going to be in San Diego long-term or whether or not they're going to LA and there were people who were, were disappointed. Like they almost wanted the team at that point to move to LA just so that they would know instead of the 12 month continuation of not knowing. And so I think for a lot of people, um, that's kind of how they, you know, in the locker room, that's kind of where they felt. And I think Philip, you know, he's, he loves San Diego. Uh, you know, I think his, his family is going to continue to live in San Diego and he's just going to commute to Orange County. And so, you know, to, to finish his career in, in San Diego would have been, would have been special, but he's a diplomatic a person, forget athlete, I think I've ever seen before up close in my life. You know, he just plays both sides of the fence in terms of the LA market and the San Diego market so well as a team goes through this awkward transition to Los Angeles. You know, he's the perfect person to, to handle it. And he, he acknowledges both fan base with respect, with reverence, as he continues this process of being the former San Diego Chargers and now current Los Angeles Chargers quarterback. So Phillips a pro and he's totally capable of handling, handling this transition as he's shown over the past few months. And I don't even think it has sunk in yet to people in Los Angeles that Phillip Rivers is their quarterback. You know, this is a probably a future Hall of Famer. 
and you know the Chargers start camp in Costa Mesa next month. Uh, you have a new coach in Anthony Lynn. You got Gus Bradley on defense, and I know you're not there anymore. But I thought they did some nice things this offseason uh, with the draft. I think they shored up their O line. You get another weapon on the outside in Mike Williams. But as you well know, the AFC West is probably the most competitive division of football. Uh, do you think, as currently constructed, this team has a shot to to compete for a, at least a wild card spot this year? Yeah, I mean, well, you're right. First of all, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't cover them anymore. So it's, it's, it's probably the most I've thought about the Chargers in a while. Yeah. But I, 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 I do, I do think that they are totally capable of competing, just like they were last year when they went five and eleven, and just like they were la- the previous year when they went four and twelve. It's been a weird stretch, and I think their their roster, when you look at it, when you take a hard look at it, it the talent is there. They just they can't stay healthy and they can't win close games. I mean, it's it's, it's almost baffling as you see. You know, last year it was unbelievable the, the injuries as they happened. Keenan Allen, the first half of week one. Danny Woodhead in the first half of week two. I mean, both ACLs to the same knee. Then Manti Teo goes down with a torn Achilles. He's the defensive co-captain. Jason Verrett, Pro Bowl cornerback, torn ACL. I mean, it was like every week seemingly uh, a guy a, a guy would go down, not just a, a guy, a core guy. And so, uh, again, uh, you know, I think they're, they're probably better fit this year uh, than last year or the year before to handle a Keenan Allen injury. I think they crushed the, their offense in 2015 when he went down uh, in, in, in Baltimore week eight and for, you know, for the season, and then it crushed them week one. Uh, they just weren't the same. Uh, you know, Tyra Williams emerged, but they're just – He's limited in what he can do in, in some key areas. That's why you saw the team draft Mike Williams. He's a bigger guy who Philip can really trust. And so I, I think the drafting of Mike Williams is significant for this team moving forward. But in the same breath, Mike Williams is dealing with a back injury. And so here we are again, you know, in 2017, in the same conversation. Obviously, we don't want to overreact just yet, but it's, that's kind of where the Chargers are. They have the talent, as Mike Williams is. He's a talent, um, but they can't stay healthy which so far he's been unable to. Um, again, he's, he should have a very bright future with, with the team, but he's more of, of a, an ex, a part of the, an extended metaphor, I guess, of what continues to malign that roster. Yeah, you know, I, I talked to Jim Trotter a couple of months ago, and he brought up an interesting point with Philip Rivers. He said Philip Rivers in the fourth quarter, um, that's when all these interceptions are occurring. And I don't know if it's just the fact that he had to press last year when you don't have Keenan Allen on the field and you lose Danny Woodhead and, you know, you're, you're kind of bringing some of these younger guys along like Inman and, and Tyrell Williams. Maybe you're pressing a little bit. Do you see a drop-off in his play, or do you think personnel and not having his, his number one guys out there consistently contributed to uh, kind of the sloppy play offensively? Yeah, I can tell you with confidence. There's nothing systemically wrong with Phillip Rivers in the fourth quarter. I think it's you can look at the context of some of those picks and the personnel that he's working with in terms of receivers. I mean, who can you really trust on the field at certain times? Protection is an issue. I, I, I haven't thought of the term until now, but they're almost like screw it interceptions where he's sitting in the pocket and he's got very little time and he doesn't have from a down in distance and a time on the clock standpoint, much opportunity to do anything except screw it. I'm just going to throw the football. And he takes a chance at like a 25% type of target and sure enough, uh, it's intercepted or it's this or it's that. I mean, he's made, I, I can think of a, a pick six that he threw in the fourth quarter. That was really bad. He just misread the linebacker and didn't see him. Like that happened, but I don't think it happened because it was, you know, the fourth quarter. I, I think the key thing with Phillip Rivers, is you got to surround him with players and his protection has been routinely terrible. Uh, the injuries are just draft picks or free agents that haven't worked out. 
Uh, you know, some have, but a lot haven't, and that's been a killer. And then the running game for a while wasn't there, but now it is with Melvin Gordon, so that helps. And then Keenan Allen helped for a while, but then he suffered season-ending injuries for consecutive years. I mean, he's suffered a season-ending injury in consecutive games played uh, from the mid-2015 to the season opener in 2016. So when all those things start to happen, fourth quarter is often where it shows up because we have a greater emphasis on it. And, yeah, he's just going to be in the pocket, and he's got to try to make something happen because if he doesn't, it's not going to do anything to kneel on the ball and, and just take the loss. You might as well go down uh, you know, firing a pass that's risky, and that's kind of been what he's done. And, and yes, he's, he's thrown a lot of interceptions, but I don't think it's because you know he's got some problem with finishing. I think it's just more about the roster as it is. It was all on his shoulders last year, like you said. And it's it's just going to be interesting here, Michael, in L.A. You have, you have two teams here for the first time in you know over 20 years, and – I think the Chargers have a real opportunity to make some hay because I don't think the Rams are going to be very good this year. I think they're going to make market improvements with with Sean McVay. But uh, I look at this roster with the Chargers and I say, well, I think there's an opportunity to to maybe sneak in as a wild card. But I want to get to the team that you cover, the Raiders, because I think they're still the most popular NFL team in L.A., and you've had some experience, obviously, covering a team with relocation hanging over its head. Uh, what's the tenor in Oakland, knowing that this team will officially be moving to Vegas here in a few years? Yeah, relocation is terrible, but I just can't quit it. I <laughs> you can't quit it, huh? Um, yeah, so now, like you said, I'm, I'm covering the Raiders for the newspaper in Las Vegas. And so I'm, I'm very much back into the thick of, of relocation. And I, you know, it's, it's different, though. It feels different. You know, it's, it's, it's the same, but it's, it's different. Where and not just that people in the Bay Area know for certain that they're losing their team. Um, so they're coming to terms with it while the team is still there. I mean, that's different. But I think it's just the fan base is different. You know, it's, it's, you know, the you know, Raiders have been in Oakland for you know, multiple stretches you know, between them, that city and Los Angeles. But you know, they haven't been there you know, 56 of the 57 years of the franchise's existence. And it's, it's, it's partly that. And it's partly just the Raider Nation identity where you know they're used to their team moving every couple decades or whatever it's been and they they just identify with you know we're rolling with them not all of them you know there's some people in, in bay area don't get me wrong who are just feeling like those two tattoo chargers fans friends i have that are out period out forget it they're dead to us done you move we move on it's over but you do have more raiders fans in the bay area that are okay i'm still going to be a raiders fan that's still my team i'm still going silver and black i'm still raider nation it's just a different mentality i mean you have to respect it i mean i think you respect any fan for any team i mean the investment that that requires emotionally uh, sometimes financially every you know the time that all that requires and uh, you know raiders fans are, are, are and i'm not saying one is better than the other but they're 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 you know just different breed i guess when it comes to their willingness to continue to follow a follow a franchise that chooses to move to a different market. Yeah, it's almost like they don't need the city name in front of Raiders, you know, because they travel so well. Marshawn Lynch, I feel like that was a a shot in the arm for the city, at least, you know, hometown guy coming home. How has that been received? And are, are we expecting to see peak Marshawn Lynch in 2017? Because I tell you what, behind that offensive line, teams could be in trouble. Well, yeah, I think that was, you're right. It was a shot in the arm. And just to continue, I, I think a lot of those fans who were not going to continue following the Raiders in Oakland now that they're moving to Las Vegas, when Marshawn Lynch 
arrive, just to kind of give you a sense of the impact on a lot of people, and certainly Oakland, it was, oh, well, now we have to root for the Raiders. Marshawn is back. He's back in Oakland. He's, he's a Raider. And that really had, a, had an effect on a lot of people. So now that he is back, I mean, yes, the Raiders expect him to be Marshawn Lynch. Like teammates expect him to be Marshawn Lynch. A lot of fans, you know, some of them certainly do as well. Uh, but I think there's got to be, among all parties, a, well, let's actually wait and see. You know, let's wait and see. He looks good in practice. He looked good in OTAs. You saw Jack Del Rio on his Twitter account post a video from the Alt-22 practice film of Marshawn breaking a long run. But it's the spring, and no one's tackling. And let's just see how it all plays out. Let's see how training camp goes, how the preseason goes, although he probably won't see much, if any, work during those four exhibition games. But let's see when he's, people can actually start tackling him. Um, in the regular season, you know, how he holds up physically, you know, how is, can he stay healthy? Can he be explosive? He's taken a lot of shots. He's taken a lot of punishment. And I say pu- punishment, he's really impelled punishment as much as he's really received it. Yeah. He's just a, a physical runner. And that can really wear down on a guy. I mean, look up Marion Barber from Dallas like, years ago, years ago. He had a shortened career. I mean, he was just so physical. Uh, obviously, Marshawn is a freak. I mean, the fact that he's 31 years old, and he's doing what he's doing, and he's still in the game. I mean, he's a different breed. But you still need to wait and see how he can, at his age, continue to be effective, given that, you know, even though a year off very well could have helped him, he's still on the other side of 30, and he's, he's you know, he's taking some punishment. So we'll see how he looks. I, I can't tell you for certain, you know, how he's going to be. But right now, so far, everybody in Oakland is excited about what he's done so far. And it doesn't hurt that they have a franchise quarterback. And Derek Carr, you know, it was hard. It was hard to see last year. They go twelve and four. They surprise a lot of people. He goes down with that broken fibula. He's not able to finish what he started. But he's a happy man now. Signs a five-year, one hundred twenty-five million dollar contract. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's eighty-five million guaranteed in the first three years. Michael, how how important was it for the Raiders to get this done before training camp? It, it was yeah. It's difficult to understate its, its significance and. It was going to get done. It was one of those deals. I think there's a lot of deals like that where you just know it's going to get done. And, you know, last year you knew the Chargers were going to resign Antonio Gates. You knew this year that the Raiders were going to resign Derek Carr and extend him. It just both sides wanted to get done, so it'll find a way to get done. And that being said, it was important to get done. It's the future, and it's kind of the motif, I guess, of this interview so far. But I think just the to know what the future is for sure goes a long way for a lot of people, just that stability of knowing. And for the Raiders to know that Derek Carr is going to be under contract through the 2022 season. So they're going to have him through their relocation. They're expected to be in Las Vegas in 2020. So to have him through 2022, it's just, it's like a sigh of relief. And now they can, work on Gabe Jackson, their right guard. Expect that deal in the coming weeks, maybe before training camp. Uh, Look at Khalil Mack, that's 2018. Amari Cooper, he's coming down the pipe, 19. So there's so many deals to get done, but this was the first domino that had to fall. It was the most significant because it's the quarterback. And now that it's it's done, I think it's just, again, a a wave of relief among those on the Raiders facility in Alameda. You know, people. I think people on the outside will look at that number, $125 million, $85 million guaranteed in the first few years, and think to themselves, well, how are they going to pay 
Gabe Jackson and Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper because Khalil Mack, he, he's going to be chasing Von Miller territory. Probably won't exceed that mm-hmm. at this point. Um, how, how is Carr's contract structured in a way that you're going to be able to get some of these other important pieces re-signed and, and kind of keep this core together for years to come? Yeah, it's like when you look at contracts, especially these big contracts, a lot of or a lot of agents, what they look at first, along with just fully guaranteed money, is how much money comes in year one, year two, and maybe even year three. You know, those early years of the deal, you never know what's going to happen year four, year five, you know, year six, if there's that long. You know, the, the back end of a deal doesn't really mean much because you always can get cut. You know, the deeper you're into a contract, the less of the signing bonus impacts the salary cap because it's prorated um, if you're cut. And so the team has less uh, penalty for, for giving up on you. So uh, it's not so much about, um, so you, you, so you look, when you look at the Derek Carr deal, you know, what he's making in his first three years is, is far less than say Andrew Luck's deal. Um, it was important just, you know, Derek Carr felt, I, I want to structure this in a way so that the team has enough cash to, you know, for that Khalil Mack signing bonus, for that Gabe Jackson signing bonus for, for Amari. And it's actually, it, it, it was, he was incentivized to be team first with that approach because in 2020, if indeed the team is moving on time to Las Vegas, uh, any money that he receives that year, it's not going to be, at, at, you know, he won't be losing uh, you know, 13.3% to state income taxes in California. In Nevada, he has 0% state income tax. So um, he structured his money to get more money later as opposed to earlier, which is usually a no-no. Um, it's, it's kind of a risk on his part, but he feels like he's a franchise quarterback and the chance of the Raiders cutting him is, is seemingly low. So he wants to make sure that the Raiders have as much cash as possible because, yeah, these guys aren't going to be cheap. His teammates, he knows that Khalil Mack probably going to be the most lucrative contract in NFL history, potentially. Uh, it's got that type of potential. So, yeah, uh, that, that's kind of how Derek Carr did it. And, and his agent worked with him to make sure that Derek was happy with that structure. Yeah, you talk about Khalil Mack. I, I think especially if Aaron Donald gets done before training camp here in L.A., which is expected, I mean, the bar is just going to be set even higher for impact defensive players. So Mack, Mack's gonna, certainly going to get his money very soon. Does does Derek Carr, did, does he realize the ramifications, too, for, for the rest of the, the quarterbacks in free agency? You know, Kirk Cousins, I know he said he was very, when he's negotiating this deal, he's very cognizant of uh, – you know, how his deal is going to affect the next guy. So d- does does Carr certainly realize that he is kind of setting the bar for the Matt Staffords, the Kirk Cousins, the Matt Ryans, you know, everyone who's getting their deals in, in the next year or two? Does, did he take that in, into consideration as well, kind of a, a fellow quarterback situation? Uh, he was aware of it. He knew that, you know, he knew that this deal was probably going to make him, you know, the, you know, the first to tw- you know, big extension to be averaging $25 million a year, you know, the highest paid player in NFL history. That's Derek Carr right now from that standpoint. Uh, he knew that. He also knew that because of the other quarterbacks in the market, he wasn't going to be the uh, only $25 million a year quarterback for long. You know, he's, he's the richest, he has the richest contract in NFL history, but that's not going to be the case for, you know, fast forward a couple of months. It probably won't be. That'll be an outdated fact. It'll be relegated to a trivia question at a bar somewhere. Like it's not going to be current. And so he's, he, he gets that, but it's fine. It wasn't really ever about that. I mean, it's kind of a statement that he got to that point first, that threshold of $25 million. Uh, but he's, I mean, it's, it, it wasn't about that for him. I mean, he, he wants the money so that he can 
take care of his family. He's got a future that's secure. Uh, and from that regard, he can start doing more in the community, you know, going to Haiti and, and, and just, you know, revi- helping revitalize that area. And he's, he's got plans for money, but, you know, having it to puff out his chest with the other quarterbacks or just to, you know, how it's set in the market and all that, you know, he, he was aware, he's aware of it, but that wasn't really what it was about. You know, I'm, I'm looking through everything the Raiders did this offseason. One of the things I think, kind of a sneaky free agency addition is Cordero Patterson. You know, you have Cooper and Crabtree on the outside. Uh, I think Patterson could be a nice X factor. What have you seen from him this offseason in OTA? You know, I know it's shirt and shorts right now. He, he looked good. And I always, I always want to be careful because you're right. It's just spring and it's, it's shorts and, and all that. And frankly, there's certain guys who in the spring and shorts should stand out more than others. And, you know, Jared Cook, the tight end, would be an example of that. And then Cordero Patterson, the wide receiver, another new weapon they added this offseason. You know, he is another one. I mean, just athletic. He's a lot bigger than you'd think he'd be, you know, with how fast he is. Um, he looked explosive, returning kicks. He's actually made – done some things on offense. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty selective on who I hype during this time of year because I think it's easy for reporters to fall into a trap of, of, of that. I think I've been in the business too long to do that. So he's looked good. He's looked athletic. I think he's going to be a guy who certainly will produce as a kickoff returner. Um, but offensively, while there is talk of them finding him a role, um, when a guy's been somewhere for as long as he has been, you know, his previous spot, you know, he, he wasn't like he was a huge part of what his teams have done in the past. I mean, certainly not the 2015 season where he was a really, really an afterthought. So, um, some guys like Martellus Bennett can really have resurgent offensive roles on new teams, but other other guys, they kind of are what they are. I'm not going to say one way or the other how Cordell Patterson fits there, but for what the Raiders brought him to do based on what they've seen so far in film, which is mostly special teams, they he looks like a guy who definitely will have the impact that they hope. It's an interesting piece, you know, and you couple that with Marshawn Lynch, which filled the need. You know, I think it brings a potential dimension to that Raiders offense they didn't have in 2016. And then on defense, Michael, you look at what the Raiders did in the drafts. They went defense heavy. Gary and Conley in the first uh, at 24 overall, and, and they probably got a steal. He had some off-field issues. Uh, you get that big athletic safety, Obi Melifonwu from UConn in the second and then a UCLA product, Eddie Vanderdose in the third. How are those guys adjusting to life as pros, and, and uh, what's the plan to get them implemented into this defense in 2017? I think, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good question. I think it's one of the most important questions in, in training camp is what kind of impact can the Raiders' rookie class have? Because you look at it, and going into the draft, everyone knew what the Raiders were going to do. It was not a surprise that you know the first three picks over the – two opening days of the draft were all defensive players and we see more of, of some than others so far, you know, Gary Conley has been super impressive uh, so far. I feel comfortable adding a little hype toward him based on what he's shown so far this spring and how the Raiders view him. They think the sky is the limit. Jack Torrio has spoke without end basically about how good he's looked and what he thinks the potential could be. Obi Malafonu, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's also looked good in terms of athletics, uh, you know, athletically, I think his role is, is going to be more situational um, than probably Garyon because of what Obi can do with tight ends and you know dime packages and nickel and maybe even um, he's he's going to be that extra DB where you can really just have man coverage, which in this division, given the tight ends that are 
are there. I mean, be it Hunter Henry or Antonio Gates or Travis Kelsey. I mean, you go down the list. Um, you know, to have a, a somebody who can help the Raiders cover tight ends better than they have in the past. I mean, they were abysmal at that of late, but certainly last year. Um, so that that helps. And then Eddie Vanderdose is a guy we haven't seen at all aside from rookie minicamp because he was at UCLA uh, due to the school being on the quarter system. He missed everything. He missed every OTA, all ten of them. He missed the three day minicamp, all three days, and he hasn't had a chance to really gel with the veterans or all of that and to you know he's working every he's doing everything he can from afar um but he's, he's obviously missed out and so i think he's going to be a it's going to be very important for him to stay healthy in training camp so that he's a part of it and you can continue to progress um you know because even though it's by all indicate indicators vanderdose has made every met, done everything that he needed to from afar to prepare himself for training camp you still need to be on the field and be healthy and be with your teammates and get into the system and all that. But um, they, they're looking for an impact of all three of those guys. Gary on just as a corner um, who can cover guys and, and be physical. And then OB for what he does from a defensive sub package standpoint with tight ends. And then Eddie Vanderdose is an interior rusher. Those are all big, big need areas for the Raiders and they still need some linebackers. I mean, they're still are unproven in key spots, but they're hoping that their defense will be much improved this year. It's an interesting team, Michael. You know, you twelve and four last year. I think expectations are high, and I'm sure they're high in the building too. You know, I want to get you out of here, out of here on this. Playing in such a tough division, coupled with these moves that they made this offseason, what's the vibe inside the building? Is this is this a team that is equipped to make a Super Bowl run? They they believe so. I mean, I think both the teams that we're talking about believe that in their buildings, which I think is a a testament to the strength of the AFC West. Because I'm sure the you know, the folks in Kansas City and, and I don't know about Denver given their quarterback situation realistically, but um, I think three of the four teams you're looking at and like easily uh, could 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 be in that mix come January. Uh, you know, I, I think if, if things fall the right way, I mean, they have that potential. I think each team going into a season has this sphere of possibility, this sphere of possible outcomes and how their year can go. In the Cleveland Browns sphere, the playoffs, and the Super Bowl isn't there. And so in other teams in the league, it's not there. But I think if the Chargers get hot, look at some of the veterans on the team, some of the young talent, and I, a lot of it's kind of fallen under the radar because they've been so bad overall. But this roster has was, was, was decent going into the 2014 season in some areas. It was starting to come around. And then they started losing, and you start looking at these early draft picks like Joey Bosa and – Hunter Henry in the early second round, and, and you start piecing them together, and all of a sudden, well, shoot, they're starting to build here. Um, and, and the Raiders, you know, they've done that already with Derek Carr early second round, Khalil Mack early first round, Amari Cooper early first round. Um, I think there's there's a, there's a turn that happens when teams lose uh, and they hit on draft picks. And both of those teams, the Raiders and the Chargers, um, and certainly the Raiders, uh, based on what they went, did last year at 12 and four, you look at it and their sphere of possibility, you have to say that it includes the playoffs. You just have to based on what they've shown of late and when you look at the roster and see all those core pieces that are there. The AFC West is one of those divisions where you look, you could look at so many different combinations. You know, we could see the Raiders in first place, you see them in third place, you know, based on what happens in that division. I think Denver, that quarterback situation is, is key because the defense isn't going anywhere. But if Lynch or Simeon, depending on who the quarterback's going to be, if, if they play well too, they, they could put themselves in a, in a conversation for the division or a wild card spot. So it's going to be interesting. The Chargers travel to Oakland in week six. 
and the Raiders finished the 2017 season at StubHub Center. And Michael, there's a big joke in LA about Week 17. How many Raiders fans are going to be there at StubHub Center in January? However many can afford it. Those are going to be some expensive tickets. They are. Oh, they are. small venue. Pretty, pretty small venue. So it's tough to, tough to land. It's like, uh, I don't know what's tougher to get a Hamilton ticket in, in New York or to spend Christmas Eve watching the Raiders and Chargers. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's going to be a pretty tough ticket to buy. But um, I, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a fun atmosphere. I think at some point, you know, you just think it's going to be fun. Like you talk about the AFC West. You know, I don't know who's going who's gonna to materialize as the, the number one team some season end. I think it's going to be fun to watch. And, and I think there's a lot of storylines to this season in, in this division and in L.A. and in Oakland and Las Vegas. I mean, it's just an interesting time. Um, and so I think as a, as a writer, you know, I, I just maybe that's kind of how I'm geared is that I don't really know how the story is going to end, but it's going to be a fun story to tell. And covering having covered the Chargers for as long as I have, and I've only been covering the Raiders for a couple months now, but it's uh, I, I'm definitely – excited to be positioned to know this division so well to know especially the chargers and raiders uh so well and my my knowledge of the raiders will only grow with time which i'm I'm looking forward to putting in the work to do that but it's uh i I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out it's awesome man well hey i I wish you the best in in oakland he's michael gelkin you can follow him on twitter at gelkin nfl and uh, hopefully we'll see you down here in la at some time man and, and get you on during the season to talk some raiders sounds good man whatever you need Okay, a quick break to tell the listeners of the LA Slam podcast that Audible, they're offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And I use Audible. I have a ton of football books in my library from Parcells of Football Life to Bill Walsh, The Score Takes Care of Itself, Belichick and Brady. The list goes on and on. So download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash LA Slant. That's audibletrial.com forward slash LA Slant. For your free audio book. All right, excited to start a new segment here on the LA Slam podcast that I like to call Fantasy Fives. And today it's all about the quarterbacks. I'm going to give you the five quarterbacks that I am targeting in drafts this season. And the caveat here is that I'm not overdrafting a quarterback. I'm not going to do it. I'd love to have Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Andrew Luck, I'd love to have all those guys. And if things break right, maybe one of them ends up on one of my teams. But more likely than not, I'm going to wait as long as possible on a quarterback and I'm going to load up on the wide receiver and running back position. So let's say for the sake of this conversation, Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Ryan, Luck. I think Cam gets overdrafted. I think Roethlisberger gets overdrafted. Dak, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson. I think I just named 10 guys that I'm totally fine with passing up on if the time isn't right to pull the trigger. So let's get into the five quarterbacks that I am all in on in 2017. We'll go five to one. We'll start with Eli Manning. And Eli wasn't great last year. He had over 4,000 yards passing, 26 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, a little sloppy with the football. But you look what the Giants did this offseason offensively. You already have Odell Beckham in a contract year, Sterling Shepard. Had a nice rookie season. You bring in Brandon Marshall from the Jets, who's two years removed from arguably the best season of his career, 14 touchdowns. Then you draft Evan Ingram, probably the most athletic tight end from this rookie class. A lot of comparisons to Jordan Reed. So I look at the guys that the Giants brought in, and 
I look at what they did last year, and they were in something called 11 personnel. Over 90% of the time, it was Ben McAdoo's first year as a head coach. And 11 personnel is essentially three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. Not a lot of creativity from Ben McAdoo in his first year. And I think with the new additions, you're going to see more creativity. In fact, McAdoo vows to be more creative in 2017. And I think that's going to bode well for Eli. Um, The thing about Eli, he's an Iron Man. He doesn't miss a start, but he's inconsistent. You know, he had a game last year, over 400 yards passing, three touchdowns, followed it up, sub 200 yard passing game with zero touchdowns. So there are some inconsistencies there. It can be maddening. And if you're not 100% comfortable with Eli as your QB1, I get that. But that doesn't mean you can't pair him with somebody else. And one of those guys could be my number four guy, and that's Phillip Rivers. And I'm super high on Phillip Rivers this season. He lost Keenan Allen in week one last year. Danny Woodhead went down early. And he had to bring some of these younger guys along, like Dontrell Inman and Tyrell Williams, Hunter Henry. The offense is loaded in 2017. You draft Mike Williams from Clemson. Keenan Allen comes back. Inman and Williams, they're a year wiser. I think Hunter Henry's going to take a huge leap in 2017. And then you have the Hall of Famer, Antonio Gates. The thing about Phillip Rivers, all he does is throw for 4,000 yards. He had 4,300 yards passing last year, 33 touchdowns, 21 interceptions, sloppy with the football. But I think a lot of that he was pressing last year. He didn't have his guys out there. So when you're trying to make plays, sometimes you you throw interceptions. I think that number is going to come down a little bit this year. But he's thrown for 4,000 yards eight times in his career. He's never missed a start. And if... Everything breaks right for the Chargers. Phillip Rivers could have a monster year, you know, and, and they've been snake bitten by injuries in the past. But if, if all these guys are healthy, you add Williams to an already good offense. I, th- I think they have the potential to be great. I really do. So I'd be happy to wait for Phillip Rivers in a fantasy football draft. All right, number three, Jameis Winston. And it felt like everyone, including myself, Thought last season was the year that Jameis was going to break out. I remember watching the Bucs and the Falcons in Atlanta week one. And Jameis had four touchdowns, 281 yards. And I I thought that drafting him late was the move. I thought he was going to win me a league. Week two comes along. They get beat by the Cardinals, 40-7. to One touchdown, four interceptions. And that was the theme of the year. He was just very sloppy with the football Jameis was. But Mike Evans, he returns. He's in a contract year. I think he's the second best fantasy receiver behind Antonio Brown. Had 1,300 yards receiving last year, 12 touchdowns, 175 targets. That target number is going to go down a little bit this year because you had Deshaun Jackson to the mix. Arguably one of the greatest deep threats in NFL history. Cameron Brait, he was a nice surprise at tight end last year. You draft O.J. Howard. Probably the most complete tight end in the draft from Alabama. So this offense is going to attack defenses on all levels. And I think Jameis is going to have an opportunity to have a big year. I think Deshaun Jackson makes a world of difference. He's going to stretch the field. He's going to open up more opportunities for Mike Evans. And Mike Evans is just so good. He's going to take advantage of any opportunity that you give him. Last year, Jameis ranked 16th in fantasy points among quarterbacks, uh, according to ESPN. I say he cracks the top 10 in 2017. If all of his weapons stay healthy, I think he's due for a big year. 
All right, number two. I love this guy, Marcus Mariota. He had a stretch in the middle of the season last year. I think it was week five to week 12. He averaged 24 fantasy points. Unfortunately, playoff time, he came up a little small. He got hurt in week 16. Still, I look at what he did during that eight-game stretch, and I think he can sustain that in 2017 from start to finish. This is a crazy number. This is from Pro Football Focus. Marcus Mariota's career red zone numbers, 60 of 94, 33 touchdowns, zero interceptions. He didn't turn the ball over. He could also win with his legs. He was sixth in rushing yards among quarterbacks. He only had two rushing touchdowns. I expect that number to go up. And a number that you look at and you could be like, uh, I don't know, 24th among quarterbacks in attempts. I think that number is going to go up this year based on the personnel. When you bring in Corey Davis, wide receiver from Western Michigan, you bring in a veteran like Eric Decker, you're going to throw the football more. This offense is going to be better than it was last year. And I think Marcus Mariota is going to take a leap into the top 10 among fantasy quarterbacks. So that leaves one guy. My number one guy, and I think most people are sleeping on him despite his incredible 2016 season, and that's Kirk Cousins. I think people are sleeping on Kirk Cousins in 2017. He was a top five quarterback last year, but when Jackson and Garcon left this offseason via free agency, I felt this shift away from Cousins, which I believe is wrong because I think there's guys on this roster that will make up for Garcon and Jackson not being there. They have 216 targets to account for. Jameson Crowder, I think he's the one to own. Outside of Jordan Reed, I think he's the wide receiver that should come off the board before all of them. I think Terrell Pryor, big body, is going to be very helpful to Kirk Cousins in the red zone. Josh Doxson, another guy whose rookie season was derailed by his Achilles. He's another big guy who's going to help in the red zone. The Redskins were not good in the red zone. Cousins' numbers last season, 4,900 yards, 25 touchdowns, 12 picks. I think the passing yards are going to come down a little bit. I think the touchdowns are going to go up because of all these guys that they have on offense. These big guys, Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis, Doxson, Pryor. And if Kirk's still on the board after the first seven or eight quarterbacks are selected, I'm all in. Give me Kirk Cousins on my fantasy team in 2017. All right. That'll do it for the first installment of Fantasy Fives. We'll have more throughout the offseason. Get you ready for your fantasy football drafts. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the LA Slam podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And until next time, we'll see you soon.